do design decisions involve value judgments? Andy Halliwell has gone and posted this question on LinkedIn as part of our redesigning D&T project and debates. I think this is a really tricky one to answer and our expert group felt that it was an important question that needed debating. Do design decisions involve value judgments? I think firstly, I'd be saying, what do you mean by a value judgment, a values judgment? And maybe in your response to Andy's question, you'll explore what you understand and what your views are of what value judgments are and then whether they actually impinge on or affect the design decisions that designers make and also that children make in D&T lessons. So do join the debate. We're always open to conversation and discussion on this. But for now, on to the next episode. This is the Talking D&T podcast, episode 12. Welcome to the Talking D&T podcast with me, Alison Hardy, a podcast for anybody interested in design and technology education, where I'll be sharing news, views, ideas and opinions about D&T. The theme of this week's episode is how did we get here? I have a number of different things around that which I want to unpick that relate to design and technology in this podcast and also about some podcasts that are coming up in the future. But before I go any further, I apologise in advance for my croaky voice. I've had a heavy cold and it's not quite back to full strength yet. So back to this idea and this theme about how did we get here. In this podcast, I'm going to be looking back at a chapter I wrote in a book that was edited by Eddie Norman and Ken Baines in 2017 called Design Epistemology and Curriculum Planning. How I got to the point where I'm revisiting that chapter has come about from conversations I've been having with Eddie and previously with Ken until he passed away sadly last year about design and technology and the position it had found it in in the curriculum or almost not in the curriculum. So this podcast has come about as a result of those conversations and some of my ideas that have moved on from that chapter that I wrote back in 2017. So the how did we get here for that chapter was about where the we is design and technology. And my focus is on how did design and technology in England get to this point where it has been under threat as a subject, both in the curriculum and locally within certain schools. And in some schools, the subject has now disappeared in its form as design and technology. I do know that some other countries are facing a similar challenge around design and technology, whereas in other countries, it's going from strength to strength. And hopefully in future podcasts, we'll be able to learn from other, th- other countries about how the subject is developing. But I want to stop and talk about what's been happening in England. And by going back and talking about the contents of that chapter. If you want to read the whole chapter, and it's a very short chapter, I'll put the link in the show notes and you can pick that up and have a read of it. And in that chapter, I drew on my PhD study, which I was doing at the time, and some of the literature that I was reading, and as I've said, some of the conversations I was having with people around education and around curriculum design. Eddie and Ken had pulled together the book with lots of us editing, sorry, authoring different chapters as a repost of the National Curriculum Review of 2011 that gave the design and technology community in England a bit of a jolt because the proposal in that review was that design and technology did not require a national curriculum, only a basic curriculum that was locally produced because, they argued, it had insufficient disciplinary coherence. 
and therefore it did not need to be a discrete and separate national curriculum subject. The report went on to state that implicit in this judgment is a view of disciplinary knowledge as a distinct way of investigating, knowing and making sense with particular foci, procedures and theories, reflecting both cumulative understanding and powerful ways of engaging with the future. In this sense, they continued, disciplinary knowledge offers core foundations for education from which the subjects of the curriculum are derived. Some very worthwhile areas of learning apply such knowledge in particular ways or foreground particular areas of skill or competence, but have weaker epistemological roots, which is what they were arguing design and technology had. Hence the title of the book, Design Epistemology. They went on to say that our judgment about possible reclassification is based on the balance of advantage given the reduced prescription in the national curriculum. Some of you who are around in education at that time may remember that one of the directives about the review of the national curriculum was to slim it down. But the consequence for design and technology was that they were arguing that the subject was not distinct in how investigation, knowing or making sense took place within the subject's focus and activities, procedures and theories. Whereas it could be argued, they said, that the discipline of science is quite discreet and different from maths and from history, for example, and that the boundaries between these subjects can be seen and articulated, whereas in design and technology, it hasn't always been made clear. At the time, there were many counter-arguments given as to why design and technology should be part of the national curriculum, some based on economic reasons and others about skills and others about personal development, and whilst valid, they did not address the report's argument that design and technology had sufficient disciplinary coherence. Now, colleagues of mine have written some really excellent articles exploring this in detail. And hopefully I'll be engaging them in the podcast in the future to talk about some of their ideas about the subject's disciplinary coherence as a a challenge to this review. But at the time, this report put a marker in the ground for the focus of a knowledge-led curriculum. And that's where I'm moving on from the chapter is that I haven't really focused on that in the chapter, I just ended with the curriculum review and some of the findings from my research at that time. But what has now come out, and I think in partly driven by that review, is that the focus very much in England has been around a knowledge-led curriculum. Now I think that has happened not only because of the review, but I think external factors such as the PISA tests have had an impact as well. And many people in schools may be using those terms around knowledge-led curriculum and being asked to focus their curriculum design and discussions and their lessons around knowledge. And teachers have been expected to design the curriculum focusing on the disciplinary and substantive knowledge of their subject. And Christine Council talks about these very articulately and again I'll put a link to one of her articles about this in the show notes. But if you are a teacher who finds it difficult to articulate how knowledge is defined and known in design and technology, then this becomes quite a challenge. And what I've seen happening in design and technology is that teachers are using definitions of knowledge or the substantial knowledge from science, history or maths and other subjects and using this knowledge to design their design and technology curriculum. So in fact, they are borrowing knowledge from other subjects that are argued to have more coherence. But by doing this, we are inadvertently 
strengthening the argument from the 2011 report that design and technology doesn't have a coherent, substantial coherence of knowledge. Now, in some ways, it is a strength of design and technology that we draw on other subjects, that we make use of knowledge from science or maths or the humanities to inform and to shape our curriculum and what we do in our lessons. We use it to inform our design thinking, to shape our design ideas or our understanding of a context. I can see how that happens by drawing on knowledge from humanities. But then we also move the process of developing and creating and shaping ideas. And we sometimes draw on maths and we sometimes draw on science and other subjects, arts and music, to be inspired and be creative. And all of that is a strength of the subject that we are able to draw on those other disciplines. But without being able to articulate the uniqueness of our subject, the coherence of our subject, without drawing all the time on those other subjects, then in my opinion, the subject continues to remain vulnerable in this context of a knowledge-led curriculum. I do not believe that this is the only reason why the subject has got to this point of being marginalised within the curriculum. I'm only presenting here a government policy-driven reason for its current position. Other external reasons at national level, such as teacher recruitment, the removal and then the reinstatement of teacher education bursaries for design and technology, those have had an impact. Local levels, whether at local authority or a local academy chain or at a school level, relate to budgets, resources, league tables, local competition. These all have an effect on the subject status. So, for example, if within a, a multi-academy trust, for example, that the profile of the design and technology results have not been good, then you can understand when they're trying to compete with other schools and retain their position that the subject might be marginalised. It's not ideal, it's not a desirable drive, but that is what happens because people make strategic decisions based on a value system that they are using at that point in time. Then at department level, again, budgets have an impact. Staffing has an impact. If we're struggling to recruit teachers, then we're struggling to staff classrooms with people who are experts in the field or know the field or are design and technology trained. Timetabling has an impact. League tables also have an impact. Internal league tables have an impact on the status and the position of the curriculum. So it's not just about this government policy around knowledge-led curriculum. There are other factors. But my point for this podcast is defined by the answer to the question, how is knowledge defined and known in design and technology? And that is something that I hope to explore with other people in the next few months on this podcast and in a number of different forums. And that's my next, how did I get here? And by that I mean, how did I get to the point that I'm actually asking this question? Yes, I came to it through my research. Yes, I came to it through Eddie and Ken's conversations and them asking me to do this chapter. But those conversations have continued with Eddie. And we have continued to talk about the nature of knowledge, skills and values in design and technology. We've moved beyond being limited by knowledge, but also talking about skills and values. And if you've listened to previous podcasts, you'll know that values is something that's very important to me and the way I think about design and technology. So I hope this is something that we'll be exploring over the next few months in the podcast. And I think these are difficult concepts to define. And the whole thing is complex. 
But I believe it's important that we explore and debate the nature of the subject and its content and its form of knowledge and what it is that we teach and why we teach these things. And in these podcasts, me and Eddie are going to be talking about what we think and where we think design and technology can go from here. And those are some of the conversations that Eddie and I have been having informally, and we've decided to try and capture them. And they are about the nature of design and technology, particularly in this current climate that we're facing in England. So next week's episode is The Start. It's with David Spendlove, and David will be picking up on some of the ideas that he explored in his chapter in Eddie and Ken's book, about design and or technology 2.0. Hopefully you'll engage with these podcasts, because we wanted to share these ideas, not just of ours, but also of others in DT, and to get people chipping in and engaging with those ideas, whether it's through emailing me, listening to the podcast, contacting Eddie, or maybe taking part in a future podcast. Our hope is that coming out from these and these conversations with people, that we can start to think about what is the uniqueness of design and technology, what makes us who we are in terms of the subject. And I did begin to touch on this a bit last week in the episode where I talked about design and technology capability, which has already stimulated some conversation on LinkedIn with Court Seaman, who's over in Australia, and Court will be on the podcast in a few weeks' time talking about his ideas about holistic technology education and what that might look like and how we can say, from his perspective, it is a coherent subject. So there are lots of different ideas coming out. Eddie's going to talk about what designers need to know, what designers see as knowledge and sharing some of his thinking about that from his experiences at Loughborough University. And we've captured a conversation that we've been having that we're coming out in a few weeks too. So as ever, I'm interested to know what you think, what you see as the things that have led you to this point, whether at national, local or classroom level. And I'm also interested to hear about what you see as the nature of knowledge in design and technology. You can contact me via my website, alisonhardy.work or you can find me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Allison. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Talking DT podcast with me, Alison Hardy. You can connect with me on Twitter at Hardy underscore Allison. Show notes and transcripts for each podcast episode can be found on my website, alisonhardy.work. Thanks for listening. Thank you.